and we're excited um, to be able to do that. Thank you, Raquel. You know, we, um, last week I st- we started a new series. We started a new series that I'm simply entitling Out of Control, which is really an exploration of the book of Jonah. And it's coming out of what I believe to be one of the great tension points or struggles in my own relationship with Christ, and that is over and with the idea of control. Now, control is a tension point and a struggle point for me because the reality is, is that I want it and God calls me to give it up. I mean, that's what the issue is with control. I want it and God calls me to give it up. And so I live in tension with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which calls us to come and die. I mean, that's the picture of the gospel, that we would come and lay down our lives, yet I want desperate control of our life. I mean, it's our nature to want to control our lives and govern our lives and make decisions that are in our best interest and and make sure that we have our hands firmly wrapped around whatever situation that is. But you can see that, that with the picture of the gospel, it just comes in direct opposition. And so there's constant tension as a follower of Christ between our desire for control, and God's call for us to lay it down. And we love control. We love, at least we love the illusion of control because there really is no such thing. And we love it because it provides us with the idea of safety and comfort. That I can, you know, feel comfortable and safe in what I know. And as long as I think I have control, then my life seems to be at least manageable, right? You know, the idea simply being this as a follower of Christ is that I want to give Jesus just enough of my life to where I feel like I'm really following him, but not enough to where I actually have to risk anything. And that's where most of us are. We're standing on the edge of this place saying, I so desperately with all of my heart want to go all in. I want to say, Jesus, everything I am for you, but I am petrified of what that means. And that we need to be living lives that are out of control, that have released all of our control and given it to Christ. One of the great words that I think is central to understanding the gospel, and I mentioned this last week, one of the central things to understanding the gospel that I think very few of us have ever dealt with is the word surrender. My favorite definition for the word is to give oneself up, to relinquish control. The idea of surrender is really giving myself up and relinquishing control. I mean, this is central to what Christ calls. Christ calls people all through Scripture to give their lives away and release control. And so we've come face to face with this idea, am I at a place where I'm willing to let go of my life and follow Jesus? To relinquish control of what I know and what I understand, to follow Jesus Christ. Am I willing to let my life get out of control? And that's the basis for what we're doing, and we're doing it by looking at the book of Jonah. And I mentioned a word about the book of Jonah that I think bears repeating this week simply because some of you weren't here and, and it is a great place to start. Okay, So here's my thoughts on the book of Jonah. There's a lot of scholars out there that, that will write things and say things about how Jonah may not have been an actual true story, but perhaps it was a metaphor or an allegory for something bigger. Mainly, mainly this argument comes from the fact that people don't understand that there could be reality behind a man being swallowed by a great fish. I mean, that's what makes the story famous, right? What makes Jonah famous, what we know about the book of Jonah, is that Jonah gets thrown overboard, and he gets swallowed by a great fish. And he spends three days there, and then he gets vomited back up on the dry land. And the rational part of our minds say, no way. 
No way. I've even read reports on, on biblical scholars that have gone back to check fossil records to see if there was actually a fish that was big enough to swallow a man and what kind of whale that must have been. And, and you know, the reality is, is that my thinking is don't get hung up here, okay? And here's why. I believe with all of my heart that God created the heavens and the earth. I believe with all of my heart that through the Holy Spirit, God gave birth, or literally gave birth to Jesus through the Virgin Mary. I have no problem with that. I believe that God raised his son Jesus from the dead. Those three truths are so central to everything that I believe, and I have zero problem. Believing that the God of the universe could put a man in a fish, I really don't have a problem with. Compared to those things, small potatoes. I don't care how God did it. I mean, I told last week, God could have folded him up in some kind of little magic shoved him in there. Doesn't matter. The point is, if God can create the heavens and the earth, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, if God can have Lazarus walk out of a tomb, if God can have a virgin give birth to his child, do I really have an issue with Jonah? Part the Red Sea? I mean, come on. Really? Jonah, at the end of the day, that's what I'm hung up on? So my thing is, don't get hung up in there. Let the story unfold and let's see what God teaches us along the way. So here's what we learned last week, all right? We learned that Jonah was a prophet of God, and his ministry took place during the reign of Jeroboam II, which is really after the kingdom of Israel had split into two kingdoms, a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. And Jonah's ministry took place under Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom. And we know that a direct word from the Lord came to Jonah telling him to go preach against the great city of Nineveh because its wickedness had come up before the Lord. And we talked a lot of last week about Nineveh and what that was, but the short answer is that Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was the dominant power at the time. They were to the north of Israel, and they were powerful, and they were nasty, and they were mean people. In fact, all of Nahum's prophecy is really against the city of Nineveh, talking about its wickedness and the sinfulness and the prostitution and the witchcraft and their cruelty and war and the murder of women and children. I mean, these were barbaric people, and and they were dominant, and they were powerful. And Jonah the prophet gets a word from the Lord that says, go and preach against that great city. So how does Jonah respond? Well, we learned last week that Jonah ran. He just flat out fled from the Lord. In fact, we kind of drew our map of the, uh, the Middle East, and we had Assyria pressing down here, and we had where Jonah was. And when God calls Jonah, he takes off to this port city called Joppa, and he boards a boat, and he sails for this town called Tarshish, which most likely was a, a coastal town on the, on the coast of Spain, which literally is on the other end of the known world, all the way over here. So when Jonah hears from God and he says, God says, Jonah, I want you to go preach against the city of Nineveh. Jonah not only says no, but he just bolts and he bolts and he catches a boat and he sails literally to the farthest point of the known world at that point in time. I mean, Jonah is on a full sprint from the Lord. We talked last week about, you know, the the same, how you and I are really similar to Jonah in so many ways. We have a similar call from the Lord and and we we respond so similar oftentimes. We, We run. I mean, we just we run. And so we dealt with the question, what are we running from? What is the God of the universe calling us to? Have we ever given our lives in total surrender, laid it down, relinquished control to Jesus Christ? We dealt with all those questions last week. So we're picking up in the book of Jonah with Jonah and a full run from the Lord. He's on the boat, he's sailing for Tarshish, and for the moment he is safe and secure. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. If you don't have one, there should be one somewhere in the general vicinity of you. So we laid some out or borrow with a friend. I want, or actually, it may be on the back of your bulletin. I can't remember. If it is, 
Awesome. We're going to be in the book of Jonah starting in verse 4 where we picked up last week. And before we open God's word together, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, what you've done for us, and how much you love us and care for us, and the fact that you desire a relationship with us. God, we thank you that you are in total and absolute control of our lives. And Lord, for the next moments, we pray that you would just take our full attention and that you would speak to us and move in us. Take just a moment as you sit here this morning and just ask God to allow whatever else is going on in your life, whatever other struggles or issues or things that are just kind of pressing on you this morning, where you have to be at one or whatever it is, just ask God to remove those for the next few moments so that you can come face to face with him. Just whisper those things in your heart to the Lord. Pray for someone beside you. Even if you don't know their name, just pray that God would move in them. Just be in the habit of praying for the people around you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. We know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. God, your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing our soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Your word is real and is powerful. So speak to us this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're picking up with Jonah on the boat, setting sail for Tarshish in verse 4, all right? Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten, uh, to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call upon your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish." Then the sailors said to each other, come and let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? For they knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was growing rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Have you ever been in a situation in your life that you thought you had kind of control of, or you had your hands on, or it was just everything was going okay, and only to kind of have it spiral out of control in, in a matter of moments. I mean, this is really where we find Jonah. He's on this boat, setting sail, firm and secure, and things started spiraling out of control. I mean, think about my own life, and I think about that, that time when I turned 16. This may have worked for you as well. When you turned 16 years old, or however old you were when you got your driver's license. And you had those moments where the control of your life in a lot of avenues was wrapped up in who took you places. So mom and dad, they drove you places, or whatever your situation was, and but the moment you got your license, there was this sort of control and freedom over your life that was newfound. I mean, you could, you could go places. You didn't have to, you know, be, kind of have the other people around you govern how that was going to work. And, and there was just this newfound control. And I remember being 16 and getting my driver's license and feeling this sort of, 
this freedom, almost as if, you know, even though I had all kinds of rules about where I could drive and all those things, I just still felt like I had this control over life on some level. And I remember a few months after I'd gotten my license, I was going somewhere, I don't even remember, really remember where it was, but I was, I was driving and, and I was headed in a certain direction and I was I had probably had my Bon Jovi or Marky Mark in the tape player, and I was just, I mean, life was good, right? In high school, and things are working, and I was driving, and I, right as I, I kind of glanced up from my radio, I saw this thing laying in the middle of the road, all right? It was big. It was huge, and I, all I could do to just swerve to try and miss it, and as I swerved, um, I hit it with my, my right front tire, and as, as I, right before I hit it, I glanced down, I realized that it was a deer, okay? So I grew up in central Texas. Deer were everywhere. I mean, everywhere. And so I could tell that it was a deer, and so I swerved kind of into sort of oncoming traffic to hit this thing. And as I hit it, the whole car just sort of jumped. And I, I was driving my dad's truck at the time, and, and it jumped like this, and I screamed like a girl. And no offense to girls. I mean, you guys scream really good, but I was like, ah! And, and I screamed, and as that happened, literally sparks and fire started shooting out of my dash. And then all of a sudden, everything went black on the thing. The radio went out, Bon Jovi quit singing, the power goes out, and I kind of whip across the road, and I, I dive into the grass of the car, and, and smoke is now filling up the, the, uh, the sort of the dashboard area, and it's getting the car, and I'm still screaming, and, and, and you know, I'm terrified, and I'm holding onto this thing, and I'm wondering if I just died, you know, because I'd never been involved in anything like this, and I was petrified, and I was come to a standstill, and, and it was almost as if time had just sort of just come to a complete stop. And what I began to realize what had happened was, is that as I was, I was driving and not paying attention, I looked up and there was a deer laying in the road. It was already dead. I just didn't see it. Okay, so it was, here it was in the road. And as I hit it, a penny had flown out of the ashtray and into the lighter, right? Which had caused some kind of short and sparks were shooting out. And then it caused the fuse to go out and the whole dash went black. And my world was like chaos. So I remember going home. And trying to tell my dad, I said, Dad, I've, I've been involved in an accident, right? And my dad was like, oh my gosh, what happened? I said, I, I hit a deer. And of course, out in, in Central Texas, it was like, oh my word, I mean, that can kill you. He was like, let me see the car. I mean, let's go out there together. What's going on? He was just making sure I was okay. And we started walking around the car. And he's like, there's nothing wrong with the car, Trev. What happened? And I said, well, I hit a deer. And he said, I know, but, but where did you hit it? And I go, well, it was already laying down. My dad goes, Wait, you hit a deer that was laying down? I said, yeah, I was laying down in the road. I go, it may have already been dead. He goes, you hit a dead deer in the middle of the road? And I said, yeah, but then fire started shooting out of the dash and smoke was filled. I couldn't see it, Dad. I'm so sorry. And he was like, what? So I was trying to explain the penny thing and he was lost. And I swore he looked at me like, you were adopted, right? I mean, really, there is no way you are the fruit of this here. But I remember that moment because I was thinking, life just seemed to be in my control. And in a matter of moments, realize how absolutely out of control I really truly am. You know, I find Jonah in a similar place. I mean, Jonah has climbed below deck and he is in control. He's running from the Lord and he's sound asleep and things seem to be going okay. And in a matter of moments, things go from calm to absolute chaos, and Jonah's confronted with who is really in control of his life. I mean, look what transpires. So 
God, the Lord, sends a great wind on the sea. Now, you know, in my categories of storms, I'm not a sailor. I've actually I've been on a boat, but I've never sailed. And so I don't have a lot of categories for my storms. When I think of God sending a great wind, I think of that sort of cartoon with the wind with the big cheeks kind of blowing across the, the, the ocean there. But when you really read this in the Hebrew, the actual phrase is, the Lord hurled the tempest. Okay, that's what the translation is from the Hebrew. The Lord hurled the tempest. Now that sort of changes the categories of storms in my mind. This is no longer like a great wind where you're like, woo, stiff breeze. I mean, it's like God is hurling the storm at the sea. And the storm was so great that the actual boat began to break up. Now, surely these sailors had seen some pretty significant storms. I mean, this is what they did. They had seen storms arise quickly on the Mediterranean Sea, and they were in a complete and total panic. They had done everything they knew how to do in their sort of sailing or maritime experience, and they had even gone to the extreme to begin to lighten the load, which means they had gone below deck, taken the cargo, and started heaving it overboard. Now, this was just the last-ditch effort, because if you didn't make it from port to port with your cargo, you didn't get paid. So, if they threw the cargo over, it was the last ditch. The boat was breaking apart. I mean, this storm was powerful. It was powerful. The, the sailors are at sort of this last-ditch effort to throw everything overboard. And, and the, Jonah is sound asleep in the belly of this boat. I mean, in a deep sleep. And the captain comes busting in. He's like, how can you possibly sleep? Wake up. We're going to die. Call on your God and maybe he will save us. Because the sailors and the captain have come to the same conclusion. There's nothing left we can do. This storm, this tempest is so significant that the boat is falling apart and we can't do anything. We are all going to drown. That is the conclusion they came to. Call upon your God, whoever that is, whatever that is, and just maybe we'll get it right. And one of these gods will have some kind of mercy on us and save us. So the captain comes busting down, wakes up Jonah from this deep sleep, right? And, and he's saying, you have got to get up, call on your God. And the sailors are kind of panicking as well. And they're asking each other, who's responsible for this? I mean, this storm is so significant, so great, that surely it's not just a normal storm. Someone is responsible for this calamity, they say. Call on your God, and maybe we will not perish. So the sailors decide that they're going to cast lots to figure out what's going on. Now, I think we've talked about this before, but casting lots was just kind of like a, it's almost like a little dice game. They use rocks or sticks or the ankle bones of sheep, and they'd kind of lay out on someone's lap, and they'd throw them, and then there was a way to read them to figure out kind of, I think it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors, you know, you lose two out of three, it's obviously your fault. So, I mean, it's the same thing. And so they cast lots, right? They're going to go, let's figure out what we do. Well, sure enough, to none of our surprise, the lot falls right on Jonah. So they read the sticks and the bones and the rocks, and they're like, oh, Jonah. And so they start panicking. And they say, who are you, and what have you done? Because they look at Jonah, and they're going, this is your responsibility, right? And they ask him, tell us who is responsible for making this trouble. What, are you, what have you done? Where do you come from? What country are you? What people are you from? I mean, the sailors demanded answers. They needed answers. They were going to die. They had to figure out, was it the root cause of this tempest, this storm? And the lot fell on Jonah, and they just questioned him like crazy. Who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? And then Jonah speaks, and I love his response, because at his heart, Jonah was a preacher. I mean, he was a preacher. And so he looks at the sailors after they said, tell us who you are, and he says this, I am a Hebrew, 
I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. I mean, even Jonah's little one-sentence response oozes with power and truth. I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. He made the sea that's about to kill us and the land that we all want to be on. And it says that the sailors were terrified. They were terrified. Why were they terrified? Well, they were terrified because they had certainly heard of the Lord, the God of the Hebrew people, the God that had delivered the people from Egypt, had parted the Red Sea, the God that had provided for them for, with pillars of fire for 40 years in the wilderness, the God that had parted the Jordan, the God that had made the walls of Jericho fall, the God that had provided military conquest after military conquest. This was the God that Jonah was running from. And they all knew that Jonah was running from him because he already told them. So when Jonah boards the boat down in Joppa, they're like, hey, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to Tarshish. Yeah, you got family there? No, I'm running from the Lord. Oh, great. They knew, but they didn't know what God and they didn't know what the scenario was. And when they found out that Jonah was a Hebrew running from the Lord, Yahweh, they panicked. They panicked. And so they looked at Jonah and they said, what in the world are we supposed to do? right? The sea was growing rougher and rougher, so even as time went by and they were trying to unfold these things, the sea was growing rougher and rougher, and they say, what do you want us to do to you to make the sea calm down? And then Jonah's response is mind-boggling. I mean, it just makes no sense in my categories of thinking. It's almost a bigger deal than this fish that we're going to see next week that swallows Jonah. Jonah looks at the sailors when they say, what should we do? And Jonah says, pick me up and uh, throw me into the ocean because I'm the reason that all this is happening. In other words, he looks at me and says, kill me. Let me drown. The reason this storm is happening is because I'm running from the Lord, so just throw me in. I mean, what an unbelievable series of events. Jonah's on this boat, calm, goes to chaos, and Jonah's response is, kill me. Kill me. I mean, here's a guy who whose desire for control over his own life, where he will go and what he will do, is in direct conflict for God's call for him to surrender the life, his own life. And he is willing at this point in time to say, God, I'd rather drown. You know, I'm just blown away by this response. And really in this text, I see some principles that I'm just calling principles because I have a, not a better word for them, but really principles that I see emerge that I think are really significant that you and I need to understand that we come face to face with. It really changed the way I think about my desire for control and ownership over my life. And the first of these principles is this, disobedience is sin. I'm going to say that again. Disobedience is sin. Now, I've made light, and last week we made kind of light about running from the Lord and, you know, running from the things that God is calling us to and, and the things that we're called to surrender and we're on a full run. And we even asked the questions, what are you running from and, and what is it that you won't lay down? I mean, Jonah's in that same category. But hear me say this, because I want you to understand this. Running from the Lord, refusing to surrender or come to grips with the idea that God wants you to lay your life down, running from the Lord, all right, is disobedience. And disobedience is sin. It's not just a game that we play that's like a, a simple tension or struggle. It is absolute disobedience to run from God, to not surrender our lives. When I won't lay down that part of my life that God is calling me to lay down to, I am in direct disobedience to God, and that is sinful. Jonah is not simply running from God. 
Jonah is living a life of direct disobedience. He's living in sin. Now, you and I don't look at our lives in these categories because we don't like what that means and we don't like how it feels. But it doesn't make it any less true. If there are things in your life that you know God, that the God of the universe is calling you to let go of, to lay down, to quit running from, whether that's your entire heart and life or whether it's a specific circumstance, your lack of surrender, my lack of surrender, is directly disobedient to God and is therefore sinful. It's not just a simple game that we play where I just say, God, I'm going to run and, and, and I'm really sorry, but I can't. It's God saying, you are living in disobedience to what I'm calling for your life. It even works in our mindset. It doesn't just have to be some giant thing where God's calling you to move to Russia and you don't want to go and so you're running. That is disobedience. We all recognize it. But even in our mindset, when God's calling us to release control of whatever category of our lives that is so riddled and captured our minds, whether it's financial, whether it's how we look at people or things, whatever it is, refusing and, or the inability to even lay down those things is equally as disobedient as what Jonah's involved in. Lack of surrender to God is disobedience, and disobedience is sin. It changes the categories for us. That's no longer just saying, you know, Trev, I hear you, man, that is good. I mean, I'm running, and I feel really bad, and I'm going to eat lunch after this, and nothing really changes. But when I begin to think about the fact that there are things in my life that I won't give to Jesus, and I'm living in sin, it changes the category for me. It puts a certain sense of urgency that says, God, how long am I going to run from you and live in this sin? And most of us think living in sin is like a part of us where, where we're doing something really bad and we kind of know it and we don't really want else to find out. But even disobedience is sin. The first principle we have to come gr- to grips with if we're going to talk about control of our own lives is that running is disobedience and disobedience is sin. Period. Like it or not, it just is. The second principle we come face to face with is the idea is that God is sovereign. Who sent the wind? Who hurled the tempest? God did. God is in total and absolute control of everything. God is not only in all, he is through all, he makes all, he does all. Everything is because of him. Now a lot has been made about the idea, the, uh, the concept of the theological concept of the sovereignty of God. And we could spend weeks and weeks unpacking what that meant and really exploring that on theological terms. But the truth is it's really simple. And I want you to walk away this morning understanding that the sovereignty of God means that God is in total and absolute control of everything. And that God moves and works everything in accordance with his will all the time and without exception. It doesn't just mean that God has the ability to rule and govern things. It means that God does always and without exception. God is totally and absolutely in control of everything. There is nothing beyond God's control. God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He is in all, through all. And all things are because of him. Now the funny thing for all this for me is that I know nothing. I am weak and sinful and tired and messy. I can't control my own life. I don't know what's best for me. I can't look at the past and figure out what's best for me. I sure can't see the future and figure out what's best for me. I don't know what's best for you. I don't know what's best for the world. I literally know nothing. 
Yet the God that I worship, as, as Jonah says, knows all, is in all, and everything is because of him. He knows the past, he knows the future, and everything is under his control to work towards his will. And this is the God that I battle for control with? I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. Here I am, knowing nothing, ability to control nothing, have no idea what's even best for me, and if I'm tired, my emotions get crazy. And here you have God, unchanging, totally stable, all-perfect, all-powerful, in control of everything, and I don't want Him to touch any part of my life. That makes no sense. The call of following Christ says, because you are all these things, I give my life away. Because if you let me do it, I am going to jack it up. So I give it to you. Because you are sovereign. You are the wind hurler. Everything is because of you. And in everything holds together because of you. You are in all and through all. And there is nothing that is beyond your power and your control. And everything works towards your will. Disobedience is sin. Running from God is living in sin. God is absolutely in control of everything. And the third principle that I want you to hear this morning is this. Turning back is always an option with God. You know, you heard that phrase, no turning back. Well, I want you to understand this. Turning back is always an option with the Lord. I'm still blown away by Jonah's response to God. I'm still blown away that, or to the sailors, that Jonah looks at these sailors and he says, throw me in and kill me. Let me drown. It's baffling to me because I look at it and I say, you know what the answer could have been, Jonah? The answer could have been the sailor said, what have you done and what do we do? And Jonah looks at him and he says, here's what you do. I'm on a full run from the Lord and this storm, this crazy storm that's breaking our boat apart is because of me. Because God won't let me run from him. Turn the boat around. He's called me to go to Nineveh. I'm just going to go to Nineveh and we will all live. And I promise you, he would have had the best tailwind in the world going back to Joppa. That's not what Jonah does. He comes to a place where he says, there's no turning back, just kill me. You know, I think so many of us are in this place, and one of two places, really. We're in that place where you say, Treb, listen, you don't know my life, man. You don't know what I've done. I've been running from the Lord for years and years and years. Heck, you don't even know what I did last night, man. My life, God doesn't want me. He knows what I've really done. If you're telling me that God knows all and is all, but he knows me. I can't go back. I can't pretend I'm something I'm not. I know who I am when I close my eyes. There's no turning back for me. The reality is from a theological standpoint, it's not true. Some of us are sitting here and, and it's our pride that won't let us turn back. And maybe that's where Jonah was. Maybe Jonah had gone this far and he's saying, look, I've gone this far. I'm not going to Nineveh no matter what on principle. And I think sadly that's what holds most Christians back from living a totally surrendered life into the very things that God is calling them to is our own pride, our own willing to admit our failures, and our own willing to lay it down, our desires for comfort and control, and say, Jesus, take my life. Our pride. I mean, how ridiculous is that? And this is where Jonah's come to. He came to a place where he felt like there was no turning back. But I want to tell you this, the promise of, of Jesus Christ, the promise of grace is that in Christ we not only can turn back, but God empowers us to turn back, to throw our hands up and surrender and say, God, I am, I'm done running. I just can't do it. Carry me back. 
push me back, walk me back, throw me back, whatever it takes. Because I know that the life that you have for me is so much better than the one I'm pretending to live. Running from the Lord is living an act of disobedience. And the God of the universe is sovereign and amazing and powerful and allows us, allows us through Jesus Christ to not only turn back but to become completely new. That there's never a point in our life when we, can, we have to look down at the ground and say, well, there's no turning back now. No, it's just not true. There always is. We can stop running, recognize the situation we've got her in, surrender our lives to the one who controls all, the one who hurls the wind, and say, God, rescue me. And the question for me as I think about this text and I deal with this myself is, am I willing to lay down myself enough to even admit that I can go back, that I can change my way of thinking, that I can change this action, this behavior, this whatever it is? I mean, Jonah's come to a place where he's willing to be thrown into the depths. So where are you in your life? Where are you in this journey? Are you at a place where you've come face to face with the fact that there are things in your life that you've got to let go of and you don't know how? That the God of the universe wants your entire life and that he's calling you to a life that comes back. Surrenders, throws your hands up and says, I am done. Because I'll tell you this, you will be blown away at how fast those storms and struggles and winds in your life become gentle breezes when you turn back. They'll still be there, but they won't have the power of the tempest. Because life is good when it's out of control. Let's pray.